Tim Alcorn has a dream job. It's what he has always wanted to do. He's calling professional basketball. He is the play-by-play -play announcer for the Cleveland Cavaliers on the radio. He's a longtime radio play-by-play -play guy who spent so many years calling high school and college basketball and football games. But he got his break in somewhat of a tragic way. We'll get to that when we chat on this week's edition of Telich Talks. Imagine you're a kid growing up in New Hampshire and listening on the radio to a powerful radio station emanating from Cleveland, Ohio, and hearing the dulcet tones of Joe Tate, former play-by-play -play announcer for the Cleveland Cavaliers, and hoping one day you could do something remotely close to what Joe Tate was doing. And now you're sitting in the same chair. That's the story of Tim Alcorn, and he's up next here on Tellage Talks. Tim, how has the adjustment been? All these years doing the high school sports and college and what have you, and bam, you're in the NBA. You know, that's interesting, John. My comfort level is actually calling the games, the play-by-play. -play. And for all those years, I called high school basketball. Now you get to, well, not really the next level, because the next level would have been college, but the level beyond that, the pinnacle, the NBA. But in the end, calling the game is calling the game. Ball's on the right wing, shoot it out front, over on the left side. So that's the comfort level. There's other things about the job where, you know, producers are chatting in your ear and so forth. You don't have that at the high school level. So that's been an adjustment. But the one thing I thought would be a, a big change, John, that it hasn't really happened was I was going from a 32-minute game in high school basketball to a 48-minute game. And I was like, wow, that's a that, huge jump. Yeah, that's 16 extra minutes of basketball. But boy, the NBA game to me flies by. I think it's a cleaner game, and it goes up and down the floor, and you'll have two, two and a half minutes of action where there isn't a break. Where the high school game, you'll have ball out of bounds, you'll have tie-ups and so forth. So uh, I think the biggest adjustment for me has just been up and down the floor uh, that there really isn't a lot of stoppage in play. Okay, and so how do you think all those years you paid your dues, how do you think that prepared you for, for the moment when you called that first game this year? Wow. In what ways did it help you? Uh, because you're you're working on a, a whole different set of dynamics. The small, tiny gyms. You're getting the stats yourself. You know, you're talking to the coaches ahead of time and trying to do as much homework. Whereas in the NBA, it's obviously a little bit more uh, of a, a bigger information gathering culture. Well, one of the things that I always felt calling high school basketball was there's no reason why a high school game can't sound like an NBA game. And so I tried to elevate the level as far as just doing the play-by-play -play and making it sound as exciting as I could. So, uh, but for me, one of the things that I really learned at the high school level was preparation is key. And as you said, I would try to get lineups and try to get stats and information from coaches because 
there's no worse feeling, you know, when you walk into any sort of broadcast and you feel unprepared. You feel like you're just doing it by the seat of your pants. So uh, for me, that was the big learning experience at the high school level, to approach it professionally, make it sound as professional as you possibly can, Mm -hmm. and then be as prepared as you possibly can be. And, And I think I learned that at the high school level, and so that I hope has transitioned to now the NBA level where, you know, I do a lot of pregame studying, go deep into those notes that are now provided rather than me begging for, (laughs) but I'm just, I'm just trying to be as prepared as I can possibly be. And then, you know, somebody asked me the other day about, you know, how do you call these games when the, when the Cavs are losing or whatever the case may be? And I said, I look at it as though I'm just calling possession by possession. No matter what happens on one possession, you go to the other end of the floor and you call that possession. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm not paying attention to score and time, but I just want to call it possession by possession. And that way you don't have flat moments or you don't have you know, that, that sequence of plays where you're not as high energy as you should be. How do you transition from all those years doing the high school where you were the neutral guy, if you will? You know, you're doing two high schools within your coverage area that you knew pretty well. To now you're the voice of the Cavs on the radio, and and obviously you're the voice of the Cavs. We can't forget that. So how do you deal with that? How has that been? And it's only been 40-some games. I was asked that exact same question in my interview okay. with the Cleveland Cavaliers, and it's a great question because the original audio that I submitted uh, were teams from Lorain County or mm-hmm. Cuyahoga County playing each other, and I was right down the middle. And I was asked during the interview, you know, your play-by-play is terrific and you're neutral. Can you provide some audio where maybe you're leaning one way? And I said, absolutely, I can. Uh, If you remember a couple of years ago, John, uh, Lorraine High Mm -hmm. made a Final Four appearance in boys basketball. That would have been, what, Rashad Berry on the team? It wasn't Rashad, but it was Devon Grant and that team, uh, Devon now at Miami of Ohio. And so I said, yeah, in the uh, regional final, they had to go to Toledo and beat Toledo St. John's in Toledo. And then in the final four, they ran up against a great Cincinnati Molar team. I said, uh, and there was no doubt who we were rooting for in those two games. People should know you were on a radio station out west here, suburban Cleveland, and you were the voice of high school sports for many, many years. I was uh, almost 30 years. So uh, in the interview process, they said, that's the audio we want to hear. We want to hear you leaning more towards one team. So I had to go back and dig that audio up and I uh, was able to get that to them. And even as I listened to it, I was like, wow, I'm really rooting for Lorraine in these games. <laughs> and, uh, but that was fine because as you said, that was the station and that was the market that I was in. And once I submitted that audio, uh, things moved forward and I'm so blessed to have been offered the position. But yeah, so I've tried to carry that into now calling the Cavs games. I mean, if there's a bad pass by the Cavs or a turnover, sure. you have to speak the truth. But that being said, uh, yeah, a three ball by the Cavs or a dunk by the Cavs, it might get a little more energy than if there's one for the other team. (laughs) Now, you have a very big guy in your corner in Joe Tate. I mean, the great Joe Tate. He's always been a good friend of yours and has backed you and has believed in you. How much do you value that relationship? 
Words can't describe how much I value that relationship. There's a long history there, and uh, you know I don't want to speak for Joe, but it's, it's a father-son type relationship sure. to me. And he has been my mentor, he has been my teacher, and uh, you know he he still calls me after some games. You know you may want to try this or let me suggest this, but uh, no, that relationship is so incredibly special to me because. For fans in Northeast Ohio, they know Joe is this iconic voice of the Cavaliers. And, of course, for several years, the Indians. Um, Joe is now just this dear, personal friend of mine. He's still my guiding star as far as broadcasting is concerned. But uh, early on in my career, for him to offer up critiques and guidance and support, uh, it has just been uh, an incredible relationship over now several decades. Well, since you know him and you got the advice from him as the years went on prior to getting this job, you certainly valued it highly. Um, How did you adjust to getting those critiques from someone like Joe Tate as you were formulating your career and getting more and more experience? You know, when when I was hired by the Cavs, one of the things that I said uh, to my boss, Dave Dombrowski, and the producers was, you know, I'm, I'm not an athlete in that sense, but I'm like an athlete that I want to be coached. I want to be coached up. So if you're hearing things that maybe I should tweak or adjust, or if you're hearing things that you like, you know, by all means, let me know. But I'm open to coaching insofar as constructive criticism is concerned. So when I've got Joe Tate, uh, an NBA Hall of Fame announcer, offering me suggestions and offering me advice, I'm more than open to it. Mm -hmm. I, I want to hear feedback and not just positive, hey, you're doing a great job. I want to hear, listen, try this, or, you know, I I caught this. Um, I think you have to be that way. Um, You know, I'm not a perfect announcer. I don't think anybody is, although Joe was about as perfect as there was. I I said to somebody the other day, I literally can recall listening to Cavs games and Joe, in my mind, was flawless. I never heard a blip. Uh, if you listen to Cavs games now, you might hear a stumble here or there. And, and believe me, I, I strive to get better every single broadcast. But uh, I want that feedback. I want people to share with me their feelings and, and let me know what I'm doing, perhaps right, or certainly if I'm doing something that can be improved on, I want to know about that. So I'm wide open to Joe still offering suggestions. That's great that he is. Uh, you're not giving him any train advice, are you? <laughs> <laughs> no, he's the train expert uh, between the two of us, although it's amazing, John, uh, the first half of the year and in going out on the road and all of the engineers that have been around in these NBA cities for years that uh, still remember Joe very fondly. And they they talk about, you know, they would go out to a train yard on an off day or go take a train trip or bring pictures of trains. So Joe's love of trains is legendary across the league. (laughs) What will people be saying in 10, 15 years about the your love of whatever? Like if you go down the road, you, 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 I know you're wearing a Buffalo Bills uh, ball love cap. The Bills. You love the Bills, and we'll have to d- dig into the reasons for that and the, and the history. But uh, you know what things do interest you that you kind of like to do when you're on the road, maybe to get away or to 
to just take in the experience of being a play-by-play guy on the road? That's a, that's a great question. Uh, when you're on the road, uh, it's so short as far as your visits to individual cities are concerned. And for the most part, uh, you're in these northern cities. So it's not like baseball where I'm sure Hammy and Rosie get to walk around town on a sunny you know afternoon before the game that night. Uh, usually when you're in Toronto or Milwaukee or Indianapolis, uh, it's cold and it's, it's you know, frigid. But uh, no, I enjoy reading. I'm a voracious reader. Uh, I'm, I'm a political junkie. I love to read about politics on both sides of the aisle. So uh, <laughs> let's make sure we know that. Yes, yes, uh, because I think it, it, I think it's fascinating. So I love to read. Uh, I do a lot of reading while I'm on the road. I'm I for many many years had my own DJ business. So I I love music. I listen to a lot of music of all different genres. So uh, for the most part, uh, especially during the winter months on the road, uh, that keeps me pretty busy. Where did your broadcasting, uh, where did you get your broadcasting chops as a youngster? Who did you want to be? How did this all come about years and years ago for you, Tim? Wow. So here's the interesting story there. Uh, I, I was born in upstate New York, hence my Bills fandom. But as a youngster, I moved to New England. And I lived in a city called Nashua, New Hampshire uh, for about five or six years. And I had two older brothers. Uh, my brother Bob and my brother Dan, and they went to Nashville High School. And I always wanted to tag along with them and go to the high school football and basketball games, and they didn't want their younger brother going. <laughs> so they would say, well, just stay home and listen to it on the radio. WSMN in Nashua, New Hampshire. I can still remember it. I'm like, game on the radio. And they're like, oh, yeah, you know, they carry it. And I listened to the Nashua High games on WSMN, and I thought, that guy's got the coolest job in the world. He can sit at a football stadium and in a basketball gym and call Nashua games. And so that really gave me the bug. Like, that's what I want to do. And it just started from there. And then uh, in New England, uh, while living in New England, the Celtics uh, were on BZ, you know, 10.30 a.m. And I would listen to Johnny Most. I'm not a Celtics fan at all, but I would listen to Johnny Most And then, of course, Joe was just to the right on 1100, and it would boom into New England. I've heard a lot of stories of guys around the country like this. Yeah, and uh, so I would be just like any kid back in our day on my radio going from 1030 to 1100, 1030 to 1100, listening to Johnny do the Celtics and Joe do the Cavs. Never in a million years thinking, you know, 30, 40 years down the road, I'm going to be that guy. And I just thought... Boy, this is awesome, you know, to call basketball games. That's what I really want to do. I mean, I've called football and baseball, but yeah. basketball has always been my favorite, and I and I love doing the other ones. But uh, And then lo and behold, uh, my family moves out to Ohio, and I got to meet Joe, and as we talked about earlier, that relationship, and it just took off from there. But really, it was living in New England and uh, that station in Nashua, and then listening to Johnny and Joe and realizing basketball is what I really want to do. How disparately different are the styles of Johnny Most and, and, and Joe Tate. I mean, well, could they be any more different? Well, they were both high energy. Yes, they were. You know, but, you know, Johnny's voice, you know, hot potato, hot potato, who's got the hot potato and all yeah, that. it's like Ed Ogeron on steroids or something. Right. You know, people used to say he drank glass. Yeah. <laughs> Go for breakfast. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, but, no, two distinct styles, but both iconic 
in their own different way. And it was funny, when I moved to Ohio, it was a couple of years after the miracle of Richfield, and people would say, oh, you know, you should have heard this. I go, I did hear it, because I yeah, was living in, living in New England, and the first round was Boston and Buffalo, and the second round, or excuse me, in the first round for Cleveland was Cleveland and Washington. So I was going back and forth listening to Boston and Buffalo and Cleveland and Washington, and then the two teams meet and for the uh, for the Eastern Conference Finals. So, uh, yeah, I was well aware of Joe and, and his unbelievable following here in Cleveland before I ever moved here. And like I say, John, to now to now sit in the Joe Tate perch, yeah. it, sometimes I still wonder when I'm going to wake up, you know, <laughs> This is a dream, and it's a dream come true, but it's just unbelievable. It really is crazy. And then to also take the comparisons back all those years, Miracle of Richfield, the one guy who has sustains an injury, which kind of killed the Cavaliers' chances, you work with on a nightly basis on the radio in Jim Jones. And I and I love working with Jim. He has been so welcoming and, and so gracious to me. And certainly uh, I've had people share with me that we seem to have developed a chemistry already. And uh, But he's been terrific to work with. And yeah, to, to have a guy sitting next to you uh, that not only has this unbelievable following and career in Cleveland, but has won a championship ring, you know, yep. with Kareem and with Magic and with the Lakers. To have that type of pedigree, that type of resume sitting next to you to draw on that knowledge, uh, to me, that's an unbelievable blessing. And so I've, I've tried to get as much out of Jim as I could insofar as just what he sees and what he knows as far as what's happening on the floor at a particular moment. And he's been terrific. Well, and it also seems to me he, more so than a lot of guys that used to play the game, his bluntness can be, it's refreshing to me. How is that for you as rookie announcer with the Cavs to maybe ask him a question or he'll say something, you go, whoa, you know, he did not hold back, which again, I think that's kind of refreshing because he's telling it like it is. It is. And I think, you know, listeners want to hear the truth. You know, as I said earlier, if the Cavs turn it over, if they make a bad pass or a bad decision, I mean, you don't want to sugarcoat that. So I, I think for the listeners, it even gives Jim more credence when he's praising the Cavs. Because if all you're doing is constantly praising the Cavs, at some point, listeners are going to say, well, he's always praising them. But if he's offering an honest critique, and as you said, blunt truths at times, then when he turns around and says, okay, this is really good, this is a positive for the Cavaliers, I think that even gives that more credibility. Because they know he's willing to question them, and he's willing to call them out, when they're not doing as well as they should. Right. So when he's praising them, that's genuine. Yeah, you better take note. Absolutely. Like take note of that because he's he's speaking from the heart. I've I've had candid off you know off microphone conversations with him about how things are going within the flow of the team or what's going on in the league or what have you. And I've always admired his refreshness, if you will, or just the the ability to speak the truth. And I think that's. That's kind of cool. Absolutely. Well, Tim, we are sitting here. We've known each other for a long, long, long time, and it's always been uh, a pleasure for me to you know, sit down and chat with you or just to keep abreast of your career. But I guess I would be remiss if I didn't mention you know, the late Freddie McLeod. Absolutely. And Freddie sets such a wonderful example as a broadcaster. How bittersweet, I guess, has it been for you to be here 
because of what uh, the circumstances were with Freddie? It's a great question, John, and, and believe me, I, I've carried that with me since the day I was offered the position. Uh, this unbelievable event for me in my life personally would not have happened mm-hmm. if not for the, the tragic passing of Fred. He left us far too soon. So, yeah, Fred was always so gracious and so nice to me, and uh, we got along great. I did a pregame show for WEOL on the floor uh, for many years, and Fred would always stop by and say hello and ask about things out in Lorain County. So, yeah, I had, a, I had a terrific relationship with Fred, and I know he is genuinely missed uh, by everybody in the Cavs organization and in our media world. So mm-hmm. uh, that is, it's a, it's a very bittersweet thing because – uh, as happy as I am, I understand the circumstances under which, you know, I got the radio job because yep. they moved John down to the television chair. So uh, I carry that with me. You know, as you know, uh, Beth gave out ties yeah. before the season. I was fortunate to receive one. I'm sure you. I was yep. too. And, and that, that tie has a special place in my tie rack because it, it always reminds me that Yes, I'm incredibly blessed and I'm unbelievably humbled to now be carrying uh, the Cavs games or broadcasting the Cavs games on the network. But uh, I know how it unfolded. And so I, I kind of, you know, keep my enthusiasm and my excitement uh, somewhat uh, at a different level. Okay. Well, how has it been for everybody in the organization just kind of embracing you? They also being affected by losing such a dear, close colleague, friend mentor and what have you the organization has been unbelievable to me uh now as i mentioned you know weol where i was yeah. cavalier affiliate station so we were on the network and i did the pregame show uh down here with scott Zarilla for many years so i i had that relationship with the cavaliers but it's one thing to be on the network and it's another thing to be mm-hmm. a full-time employee and and the radio voice of the team, but they have been so incredibly gracious and and welcoming to me. And I'll tell you what, uh, you know, I don't know every team in the NBA as far as their broadcast teams are concerned, and I don't mean Jim and I and John and and AC. I mean the entire team that works behind the scenes and so forth, and the Cavs are just incredible. I don't want to start listing all the names because I know you only have a short time on the podcast here, but the entire Cavs broadcast team as far as – the folks that put it all together have just been incredible to me, and they really are a marvelous unit. They really are. You know, starting with Dave Dombrowski, yes. who I've known for 40 years. I mean, he was producing for the great Pete Franklin way back in one of the iconic figures in Cleveland sports, if not national sports talk history, one of the pioneers, if you will. So Dave has a great cachet that's attached oh, it's amazing. to him as you go forward. Uh, how uh, stressful has it been with the team just not winning that much young and making mistakes and a rookie coach albeit a 66 year old rookie coach you know I don't look at it as stressful I think everybody understands the process that the Cavs are going through um, you know unfortunately you know Dylan Windler hasn't played this year and Kevin Porter Jr. has been out as of late but they went into the season with three rookies three number one draft choices uh i think darius garland has shown the promise of why he was a number five pick and i think when kp comes back uh he'll bring that dynamic energy uh that he brought to the floor when we saw him in the early part of the season uh and let's hope dylan willer comes back at 100 percent next year which certainly everybody projects so they're a young team colin sexton's only 21 
So I don't know if, if it's stressful. Uh, I'm sure there's frustration at times, but that's going to happen with a young basketball team. So, no, I'm just enjoying the ride. Uh, like I said, the, the fans have been terrific as far as feedback that I've gotten, and the organization has just been tremendous to me. So, And as I said to you earlier, John, I don't really – look at calling the game as far as what the score is or what the situation is. You know, I just look at it as possession by possession. In fact, a, a real quick story for you. We were up in Boston earlier this year, and uh, it, the Celtics had a big lead fourth quarter. Cavs come down, and I think it was Henson, maybe somebody got a dunk for the Cavs. So I go, pow, you know, and, <laughs> and Cornbread Maxwell was sitting right in front of us. And uh, so Cornbread comes up to me after the game. He goes, man, you got excited about a dunk in a blowout game in the fourth <laughs> quarter. But I go, sad. to me, it was just the possession and it was the play. Yeah. It was an exciting dunk, no matter what the score. So he goes, I like that. I like that. <laughs> so, you know, but it was a funny moment because, yeah, the score, the time, the dunk really didn't mean anything. But to me, the possession was a good possession and the Cavs got a dunk and it was exciting. So, so I, I called it that way. So you called it that way. <laughs> and, and so I would imagine, Tim, compartmentalizing this thing, as you said, possession by possession is a is a is a great philosophy as you go forward, learning more and more about the team and making each possession sound like the most exciting possession or most uh, noteworthy thing that you're seeing at that point. Absolutely. Because again, I think, you know, I don't want to speak for Coach Beeline and the staff, but I think that's how they're approaching this season. You know, yeah, everybody wants to win, but I think they're looking at growth and that growth mindset of possession by possession, quarter by quarter. How is this young team getting better? Are there things that we're improving on? So, you know, I think if you look at it from that perspective, I know fans look at wins and losses as they should, but I think in the big picture, if, if you're seeing the growth and you're seeing this team just mature as the year goes along, then I think the other things will ultimately fall into place. All right, let's talk about that hat that you're wearing here. <laughs> Buffalo, Buffalo Bills, you're in Cleveland. We know it's a rabid it's Brownstown, even though they haven't uh, given fans that much to cheer it for. How's it been being a Bills fan here in Northeast Ohio? It's It's been fine, you know, I, and I'm a Browns fan too, except on that given Sunday if they happen to play the Bills. But, uh, no, as I said, I, I lived in western New York as I was a little guy, and for some reason when we moved, I never lost that Bills fandom. It has followed me in all my different stops. So uh, I'm rabid about the Bills, and I love being a Bills fan. Uh, you know, Browns fans aren't the only ones that have had frustrations over the years, but uh, I love my Buffalo Bills, and maybe next year, John. I tell you, they're a team on the rise. They are a team on the rise. You think Josh Allen's the answer long term? I think I think year three's we're going to find out. I think he made a step forward from year one to year two, got him to the playoffs this year. Boy, he looked good in the first three quarters down in Houston, and then the wheels came off in the fourth quarter. So does he regress from that, or does he really learn and mature from that? You know, here's Mahomes in his third year in the Super Bowl. So I'm not saying that with Josh Allen, but can he take a big step forward in that third year? I think uh, this time next year we'll be talking about whether Josh Allen is the guy or not. Let's switch back to basketball. Uh, second half of the season, uh, where do you, you know, what kind of uh, benchmarks can we look for in terms of growth with individuals or with team concept as the wine and gold goes through the back end of the schedule? Well, that's a good question. I Again, I think as John Beeline and the staff look at it, it it's simply going to be, 
are they improving on certain aspects of the game? You know, one of the things uh, with Colin Sexton that's kind of been a bugaboo the first year and a half for Colin has been turnovers. So I think they're looking at that number. Uh, can he bring those turnovers down? Because, man, he's scoring, John. I mean, he is scoring the basketball. Uh, we talked about Darius Garland earlier. I, I think they were looking for his assist numbers to go up as the year went along, especially that assist-to-turnover ratio. Yeah. That is a trend that is absolutely going in the right way. It is. Uh, the West Coast road trip, he had his first double-double with points and assists. So I think those those are numbers that they're going to keep track of, especially the the young backcourt. Uh, you know, Tristan and, and Kevin Love are going to give you that double-double or close to it pretty much every night. So that consistent play has been there from Tristan and from Kevin Love throughout the year. Uh, you know, shooting numbers, but uh, turnover numbers, I think, are the one thing that, you know, you can look at a box score and say, boy, you can't turn the ball over that many times and win. So I, I think the focus is going to be more on the backcourt mm-hmm. and what these young guys can do in the second half of the season to really cut those turnovers down. And because turnovers lead to extra possessions for the other team, and if the other team's getting extra possessions, more often than not, if they convert, uh, they're going to win the basketball game. Tim, how do you feel the team or the young players came through this whole slugs uh, fiasco that uh, Coach Beeline had, you know, the thugs, slugs, you know, that that back background story that was big in the news for a while. It was, but, John, I, I don't think it's newsworthy anymore. I mm-hmm. think uh, John Beeline uh, realizing later on uh, that he had a slip of the tongue, that he just had, you know, a, a malapropism, is that what they call it? Mm-hmm. Uh, he individually got a hold of each player. He then met with the team. I think they said, Coach, you're good. There's no problem here. And I think they all moved on. And I, I think it, it's a non-story now. And uh, to be honest, I thought it got blown out of proportion at the time. And I think John responded to it very well. I thought the players responded marvelously. And I think everybody has moved on. Who's adjusting better as a rookie in the NBA, you or the coach? <laughs> <laughs> well, Coach Beeline has a much bigger He's got more resp- pressure. <laughs> you talk about stress. <laughs> I said I'm not <laughs> feeling any stress, and I'm not saying John is, but no, I'm sure there's a lot of adjustments for him. Uh, but I'm sure, you know, as I said, you know, for me, my comfort level is calling the game, and I'm sure for John, his comfort level is also coaching the game once the ball's tipped up. Yeah. Uh, and he has said it's all the other things in NBA basketball that he's had to adjust to, the travel, the lack of practice, yeah. uh, you know, where the games just keep coming and coming. We're at Michigan and West Virginia before that. Uh, you know, he had more time in between games. So, <laughs> yeah, I think it's fair to say, I don't want to speak for John, but I think it's fair to say uh, he's having a much bigger adjustment than I am. <laughs> and you guys have to adjust. I'm, I'm, I don't mean you per se as a broadcaster, but these these guys just came off a six-game road trip and they saw what it's like on that first game back when you have virtually nothing in your legs left from all that travel and all that stuff that you had to deal with. Boy, absolutely. Uh, it was the first one that I had been through. I'm not a player. And I'll tell you what, when I got back, I was zombie-like. It was like, wow. I mean, you know, you're flying all over the country. We played a game in every single time zone on that road trip. Uh, So, yeah, I was feeling it. And then, of course, we got held over in Memphis. So it was just a crazy trip, a lot of miles, uh, a lot of games, six games in five different cities. So, yeah, I think think Larry Nance, after the game against the Knicks, said, listen, this is an outlier. It happens in the NBA, and, and I know John has said that he, he didn't think it was something that was real until he saw it up close and in person in, in that Nick game. So, 
yeah, I think everybody's ready to move forward. And certainly, uh, I, I think the second half, we're going to see some promising things from this team. Great. Well, that's a great way to end the pod. Best of luck to you. I look forward to uh, hearing your calls as the games go on. And I'm really happy that a lot more people are seeing your, your broadcasting style because I think you do a terrific job. Oh, John, I appreciate it. Uh, again, you know, when I think back of all the unbelievable, iconic names in Cleveland broadcasting, by the way, including yourself, because you have had an unbelievable career. But when I think of names like Gib Shanley, Nev Chandler, Joe Tate, Tom Hamilton, and I'm not in their class, I'm not saying I am, but to now be one of the Cleveland sportscasters, uh, that is incredibly cool. humbling to me. So I, you know, I'm not at their level yet. I'm not at their standards, but I, I hope to get there. And uh, obviously, I hope the fans are enjoying. I hope they enjoy the broadcast. Well, I could do a hammy right now and say, swing and a drive. <laughs> but I'll, I'll pass that and say thank you very much, Tim. Best wishes to you, my friend. I appreciate it, John. Thanks. Thanks once again to Tim. Very happy, very, very happy for Tim's success. And as always, if you can, subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Also, the other platforms that we are on as far as the podcasting world is concerned. Any kind of great rating and sharing that you can do of this podcast would certainly be appreciated. And check out some of the other interviews that are in the archives. We have more than 50 of them so far. It's been a pleasure doing them, and we hope to continue this for a long, long time. And we'll see you next time on Telich Talks.